And greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Thank you for joining us this Sabbath afternoon. I can see you in the chat there, everyone. Greet one another in the chat. Bless one another. Please give us some thumbs up while you're here. And remember, do subscribe to the ministry channel. And you can go over there to Odyssey. And we're backing everything up on Odyssey. And please do consider donating to the ministry. It truly does help. Thanks everybody who has been donating through the snail mail or online at torahtothetribes.com forward slash donate. Or you can go down into the description below and you can give by texting Torah to that number right down there in the description. Um, we are in Isaiah, the fifth Hebrew gospel. And I promise you, I'm not going to lose my noodle this week. I'm going to stay calm and cool and collected because chapter 35 is some breathing space for us. It's like a selah, respite within the whole of the text right here in chapter 35. <sighs> we get to have a breathing space. So breathe in the word of Yahweh with me today, Isaiah, the fifth Hebrew gospel. Let's delve right into the text today and breathe. It's good. It's going to be good. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. And the desert shall simcha, be full of joy and rejoicing and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly, and gilah, even with simcha, rejoice, even with joy and singing. The tifereth, the glory of Lebanon, shall be given to it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the tifereth, the glory of Yahuwah, and the excellency of our Elohim. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Ah, it's good, huh? That's good. So what we're going to do today, Yah willing, is we're going to thread the prophetic needle today and align the thread, which is the promises of Yeshayahu, Isaiah, and we're going to thread it through the needle of Yahusha. And we're going to thread the verses into the Brit Hadashah. It's kind of like a comparative study, if you will. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. And you'll see the comparison. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and wobbly knees. So the opening verses and the text of Hebrews... What does it use? It uses this poetic, vivid imagery to convey the idea of strengthening those of us that may feel weak, that may feel feeble, or maybe wobbly at the knees. So Isaiah is urging, urging, excuse me, the strengthening of feeble hands and the tottering, wobbly knees those wobbly knees. 
So Hebrews calls for the strengthening of feeble arms and weak knees. So both of these scriptures, then they're encouraging us to what? To stand, to stand strong, to stand on our square, to face whatever comes at us, face the challenges, even if we're feeling spiritually weakened right now, just stand. Stand on your square. Look at the physical body parts as metaphors for weakness, emphasizing a need for reinforcement. And we need reinforcement. Sometimes we need encouragement from our friends, encouragement from our family, encouragement maybe because we're alone, just through time in prayer, study, and my favorite, singing, worship. So it's a timeless message today. It's a breathing place, a message of hope, a message of resilience, a message of spiritual fortitude. Yahweh is calling me, Vaikra, and he called. Yahweh is calling you to holiness, Kedushah, holiness in the midst of the heathen, especially this time of year. He's calling us for strengthening one another, Strengthen your brothers, strengthen your sisters, those that are facing challenges. He's using physical metaphors to emphasize the need for inner strength and perseverance. So these verses and this little respite we've got in chapter 35, it's here to inspire you. It's here to inspire me. Regardless of the historical and cultural context, it's in here to inspire us to endure, to remain steadfast in the faith. Look at verse 4. Say to them that are of a fearful lev, a fearful heart, be strong and fear not. See, Yahweh your Elohim, he will come with vengeance and with a recompense. He will come and save you. Look at verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be opened. So now we thread the needle right through the very piercing heart and the words of Yahusha, and we come to Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. You can put a finger in Matthew chapter 11, verse 15. And you can also put a finger in John chapter 9, verse 6. And we'll thread the needle because look, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be opened. You can see why Yeshayahu is one of the least read books in, in Judaism. Why? Because the cat's out of the bag, brethren. The cat's out of the bag. Look, Matthew, Matichahu, chapter 9, verse 27. And as Yahusha went from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have rachamin on us, Ben Dawid. Have mercy upon us, son of David. And then in Matthew chapter 11, verse 15, Yahushua says, whoever has ears, let them hear. So these are the fulfillment prophetic scriptures as we thread from Isaiah right here in the 35th chapter into the Brit Hadashah. But look at this. Now we go a little deeper in John chapter 9, verse 6. Having said this, he spit on the ground and he made some clay with his spittle 
and he put it in the man's eyes. Go, he said, wash in the pool of Siloam. That's the pool of him who was sent. So the man went and washed and he came home seeing. So Isaiah, he prophesies about the opening of the eyes of the blind and the unstopping of the ears of the deaf. Matthew, in the ninth chapter, the 27th verse, he, he narrates this incident where two blind men came and they were seeking healing. And they sought that healing and they found that healing in Yahusha. In John chapter 9, he describes the healing of a man born blind. And he experiences the Moshiach. So Isaiah is giving us hope. He's prophesying that Moshiach will come. And when he comes, he will bring healing to our physical ailments. So Matichahu, the book of Matichahu, portrays Yahusha as Ben Dawid, the son of David, who has the power to show Rachamin mercy and to heal the blind. Isaiah emphasizes the miraculous nature of healing. And he points to divinity. This is where most people miss it. Isaiah emphasizes, yes, the miraculous nature of the healing, but he's pointing explicitly to divinity, that it's a divine intervention that makes it happen. So Matthew and John narrate instances, if you track him with me, of Yahusha performing miraculous healings, but there is a reinforcement of his divine authority, divinity, in the very prophecy of his healings. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. So Isaiah, his prophecy is really a general prophecy about the healing of the blind and the deaf, whereas Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, presents a direct plea to Yahusha for rachamin, for mercy and for healing. And some of you, it's time not for a, a general prayer, but for a direct plea to Yahusha for his rachamin, for his mercy and for healing. It's time for a direct plea. See, John chapter 9, verse 6, then goes into a deep mystical layer where you've got spit and clay and, you know, this would be, this is so offensive, right? Especially in post-COVID world. Can you imagine doing that? You get arrested, right? But John chapter 9, verse 6, it, it involves the healing involving mud and washing for the blind man's healing. Meaning sometimes you have to go against society. You have to do things that seem totally against society because we are not to become like the heathen. We are to be vaikra, those who are called out, holy, kadosh. So the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies is divine healing and the messianic identity of Yahushua as foretold in Isaiah chapter 35. It's very comforting. So the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, these accounts, they serve as solid examples of the fulfillment of Yeshayahu's prophecy in the ministry of Yahushua HaMashiach. And you can see why this book 
Isaiah, Yeshayahu, is one of the least studied in the yeshivas because the cat is out of the bag if you actually then read um, the Shem Tov, the Hebrew book of Matthew. You know, I don't want to Greek you out. Why don't you just go and read the Shem Tov, the Hebrew translation of Matthew? You see, Isaiah is inspiring. Now look at the sixth verse. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb shear rejoice. For in the wilderness shall Maim water break out, and the streams in the desert. So the dumb are going to sing. The wilderness, water's going to break out. There's going to be streams in the desert. So what is Isaiah saying? He's, he's anticipating a transformation of arid and barren lands into a flourishing abundance. You know, if you're dried up inside, if you're feeling arid and barren, then there's a promise there of abundance, of fertility, of fruitfulness, of a heavy bough of fruit in your life. Don't give up hope. Let's thread the needle. We go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 5. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the best sorah, the good news that Isaiah proclaimed in the 35th chapter is now proclaimed to the poor. It is being fulfilled in your very hearing. This is Yahushua's response to Yochanan Hamatbi, or John the Immerser's question about whether he is the Moshiach. So it's, it's an echo, is it not, of Isaiah chapter 35, the theme of miraculous healing. We can go further. We can go to Matthew chapter 15, verse 30. Because there we find great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they laid them at his feet, and he healed them. So the multitude, what do they do? They come, they bring their ailments, various ailments and sicknesses to Yahushua, again emphasizing healing power. And then in Yochanan, John chapter 5, verse 8, we can thread the thread right through into the very heart of Yahushua because Yahushua says right there, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Do you have the faith? Then get up, stand, strengthen your wobbly knees, stand on your square, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. So the healing of the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethsaida demonstrates what? Yahushua's divinity, his divine authority, even over our physical ailments. He has divine authority over your physical ailments. Look at Maaseh Lachim, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, verse 7. With shrieks, impure ruachim, spirits, came out of many, and many who were paralyzed and lame, they were healed. Again, there's more healings. 
This time it's performed by Philip in Samaria. So the expulsion of demons, the healing of various physical infirmities. Again, this is what comes with being a saint. This is the power of a transformed life. And we thread the needle further now into the Gospels of Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 12, John chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 32, it is written, While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Yahushua. So a man, he's unable to speak due to demon possession. This proves Yahushua's messianic authority over both spiritual and physical afflictions, does it not? I mean, I, I sometimes, I mean, maybe I'm just terribly wicked, but sometimes I get so just like disheartened with all the homelessness and the insanity going around that I have to just like almost do things to brighten myself up. So for instance, I was walking along yesterday and this absolute lunatic was going insane at me. So I just just absolutely started speaking in tongues to this demon-possessed person downtown. And they just freak out. They freak out and um, they just don't know what to do. It stops them in their tracks. It just kind of uplifts me and then I go along my way. You know, it's just sometimes you just have to implement the scriptures into your daily life. Not sometimes, all the time. And that's just an instance where I get a little bit of a chuckle because they can be, to some people, quite intimidating. And you don't want to reason with the, with, with the demons and the insane. It's better just to speak to them in tongues and either they'll get healed or they will freak out because you're calling out the very spirit within them. You're piercing through into the very heart of the matter that these are demon-possessed individuals. The world will say, oh, they've got men. These are demon-possessed possessed individuals. And the only way to deal with demonic activity is through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. So we can see in Matthew chapter 9, verse 22, 9, verse 32, a man unable to speak due to that demonic possession that we see so much on the streets here in Portland and the Pacific Northwest, the West Coast, that used to be the best coast. But this right here, it shows us that Yahushua's messianic authority is both spiritual and physical. And we have that authority in him too. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And again, Yahushua healed him so that he could both talk and see. So Yahushua's power over demon possession and its physical effects. It's powerful. In John chapter 7, verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So this metaphorically describes believers receiving spiritual refreshment. 
And when I say about me, you know, joking a little bit there, talking about the homeless individuals and whatnot, I'm not saying that these people can't be delivered, and they can be delivered through, through supernatural realms. But we have to understand when they have given themselves over to immorality and drug abuse, they don't want to be delivered. And that is a different case because they're not willing to stand and strengthen the weak knees. The, like the man, he said, get up. Some of these people, they love they love the demonic possession. They love the Satanism. And they are what's called in the book of Romans, reprobates. They are reprobates. So don't waste your time on reprobates. And that might be offensive to some of you. But the Bible defines what a reprobate is. And some of these individuals are reprobates. And I have no problem calling it for what it is. We're not here just to be all greasy grace because some people will just be like, oh, but then if they're given over to it, then that is a reprobate. In John chapter 7, verse 38, it says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, do you have the belief? Then rivers of living water will flow from within them. So this metaphorically describes believers receiving that spiritual refreshment. Isaiah foresees it and Yahusha fulfills it. Healings of diverse physical and spiritual conditions. So Isaiah's imagery of waters breaking forth in the wilderness, it aligns with the Brit Hadashah's portrayal of Yahusha bringing healing and abundance to various afflictions and individuals that he meets. So then look at the metaphorical versus the literal water. Isaiah's use of water uh, appears metaphorical. It symbolizes what? Kind of a transformation. Whereas in contrast, once you get into the Brit Hadashah, the passages actually record literal healings, but often use water metaphors for more of a spiritual messianic renewal that is to come. Do you see the difference? So Isaiah, when he uses water, it's usually applied and appears metaphorical, symbolizing a transformation. But in contrast, in the Brit Hadashah, the passages record literal healings, but often you still use water metaphors in the spiritual renewal of which is to come. In fact, the Hebrew word for waters in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6, you've guessed it, is ma'im. Ma'im signifying water in a general, general sense. Now, each letter of ma'im has, of course, symbolic deep meaning. Mem as water, yod as hand, and mem again as water. So what is this pointing to? It's pointing to Mashiach being a double measure of divine intervention and provision, which is why this book is one of the least studied books in the yeshiva, because you've got the double mem with the yod, the hand that brings healing in the midst. It's a divine intervention, a double measure of divine intervention and provision. 
So Isaiah's imagery of water breaking forth in the wilderness, it finds its fulfillment in the accounts of Yahushua's healing ministry, wouldn't you say? It becomes very apparent. It's transformative. It's caring. It's abundant in nature. It's about divine intervention pointing to his divinity. So Isaiah, ah, chapter 35 is a respite. It's a breather. It's reinforcing the messianic identity, the blessed hope of Yahushua as anticipated in this very prophecy. Look at verse 7. I'm going to have to have a sip because I'm parched. Is that just because I'm about to read about being parched? I think so. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of Maim water. In the home of jackals, where each one lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And verse 8, And a highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of set-apartness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those who have their halakha, their walk in the way. Even wayward fools shall not go astray in it. So we have now coming into view a highway, a path of holiness. It's the sacred path, the holy way, where only the zadakah, the righteous, can walk without going astray. Ah, Let's thread the needle. Again, back into the Brit Hadashah, right through the very eye of Yahushua, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. This is the first verse my wife and I ever learned. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, it says this. Pay attention. It actually says this. If it doesn't say this, it should say this. But it does say this. But in your translations, it most probably doesn't say this. But it should say this. Does it say this? Let's read it and see if it says it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But as Leviticus is holy... He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written in Leviticus, be holy because I am holy. That would be a proper translation. Vaikra. And he called is the book that has been said to be about Levites. Leviticus, about Levites from the Latin. But it's really Vaikra. And he called you, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But just as he, Vayikra, he called you is Kadosh, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Yet the major religion in our Western world says no. We abrogate the commandments found in Leviticus. We don't do that. 
Jesus Christ came, died, buried, and rose again, and his blood cleanses pigs. This is asinine theology, but this is what we're told to believe. Whereas Job, the prophet, says, can anyone bring clean out of the unclean? No, not one. But we, we're not to believe that. No, don't believe the scriptures. And then Paul goes on in Corinthians and he says, don't even touch the unclean, let alone chow down on it. Because men take a few verses out of context where translators have added commentary, the funky monks over the years, and they try and thread the needle into the pagan traditions of the nations to justify their violation of scripture. Whereas anybody can tell that we are called to holiness, and the holiness code is found in Vaikra. And if we don't follow the holiness code, the Sabbaths, the feasts, the festivals, and the dietary requirements, then what God are we actually following? We're following the God of the heathen, the God of the nations, because the commandments you keep, they tell you what God you're following. When we keep the commandments of Elohim, then it shows us that we're following Yahuwah. And when you keep the commandments of some Roman God, then that shows you that you're keeping and following a pagan Roman God. It's very sad, but let's not dwell too much on that because this is an inspiring chapter. All that to say this, Shimon Kiefer, his letter emphasizes the call to holiness, aligning with the concept of the holy way in Isaiah. Isaiah. So, in Revelation, we can thread the needle even further. In chapter 21, verse 27, it is written, Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So in the context of the New Jerusalem, this very verse emphasizes the exclusivity of the holy, akin to Isaiah's holy way. So Isaiah introduces the holy way, and Yahusha uses the metaphor of a narrow road. But both do what? Both convey the idea of a specific path that leads to a particular destination. So Yeshayahu, Isaiah's holy way, it seems, it seems more accessible at first glance, that even a simpleton can walk on it without going astray. But in contrast, Yahusha describes a narrow way that only a few find. It's suggesting what? That it's more challenging to find it. It's a more challenging discovery. It's not what the masses are going to be teaching. It's away from the broad road of men's traditions where Jesus came and his blood cleansed pigs. When the Bible says, you know, he cleansed Cornelius 
and that Cornelius, a Gentile, was made clean. But no, 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 that's not what they're saying. You see, they've turned the scripture and they've dumbed it down to make men fools. But this is what the world does. This is what the traditions of men do. In all realms, secular realms and religious realms. It's always been that way. But Isaiah calls us to a narrow path, a straight path, away from the broad roads, from the customs of the heathen. And you find out if you're doing what you're doing are the customs of the heathen in this time of year by going to Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah will tell you if you're on the narrow path. Read Jeremiah chapter 10 and define yourself whether you're a heathen or whether you're on the narrow path. It's really very simple, but people don't want to do it. They will make excuses. But we have to realize that the Hebrew word here in, for highway in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 8, is the Hebrew word mesila, mesila. It signifies a raised way or highway. And each letter in mesila has symbolic deep meaning. We have the mem as water, sin as a thorn, and the lamed as a shepherd's staff, and the hay as behold, as in behold a protected path under divine guidance. So Isaiah is trying to guide us away from the broad road of pagan traditions, away from the broad road of the heathen. He's trying to shepherd us into the narrow road of Scripture, do things Bible ways. Do things Bible ways. And then you will be safe. Keep the commandments of Yahuwah and you will be on the narrow path that leads to life, especially when you are following the shepherd's staff of Yahusha. In fact, Isaiah is the one that introduces the very concept of the holy way. It's a path accessible even to the simple, underlying divine guidance. And Yahusha deepens this theme with the metaphor of a narrow road leading to life. So the emphasis on holiness in 1 Peter and Revelation aligns with Isaiah's portrayal of an exclusive and sacred path. It's not for the masses. They're going to want to do the customs of the heathen. They're going to want to do that, and they're going to want to justify it and contort the scriptures so that they can do exactly what the heathen does. And you can't reason with these people because they are set on their doctrine and dogma. But we have to choose the path of righteousness and holiness versus the road of tradition and the doctrines of men. Now, the tell, you know, everybody has a tell. And the tell on which path you're traveling is Vaikra. And he called, the commandments you keep demonstrate the God you serve and they define which path you are on. Just look at yourself. Judge yourself. And then you'll find what path you're on. So we conclude 
with the themes of joy and sorrow and divine comfort. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 of chapter 35. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall have their walk there. And the ransomed of Yahuwah shall return and come to Zion, Zion with Shirim, songs, and everlasting simcha, joy upon their heads. And they shall obtain simcha upon simcha, joy upon joy, and sorrow and sighing, it shall flee away. Hallelujah. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Isaiah, he's prophesying about the joyous return of the redeemed to Zion. Come out of her, my people. I am so glad that I don't participate with all the trash that is going on this time of year. I'm so thankful my life is so much richer for it. And now I can be accompanied by other saints that sing the same joyous song. We're like, oh my goodness, we've been delivered from the nations into the everlasting presence of joy, the dispelling of sorrow. It's miserable out there this time of year. It's miserable. Look at Revelation chapter 7, verse 17, and thread the needle, for the Lamb is at the center of the throne. Not Father Christmas, no. You see, that's the problem. Yahuwah and Yahuwah alone is omnipresent. So don't be telling me that some fat white dude is omnipresent. He's everywhere. This is sacrilegious, man. It's sacrilegious. There's only one who's omnipresent. Give me a break. But they've made this Satan dude, right? Santa, Satan, to be omnipresent. He's everywhere. I mean... What can you do? For the Lamb is at the center of the throne. You go into most of the churches today, and what is at the center of the assembly this month? It's not the Lamb, is it? Oh, you may have plastic baby Jesus. That's called a graven image, brethren. Little white plastic baby Jesus. What have we come to? They wouldn't have put up with any of this stuff back in the Reformation. They wouldn't have put up with any of this nonsense during the Middle Ages. They certainly wouldn't have put up with any of this stuff back in the first century. This is the Kool-Aid for the masses. We live in the 21st century pagan world where the nations and the kings of the earth have diluted and polluted the whole world. But to the saints that are on the narrow road that leads to life, there's discernment. And the lamb is at the center of our life. The lamb is at the center of the throne. 
and the Lamb is our shepherd. And it's the Lamb that leads us to the springs of water. And it is the Lamb that will wipe away our tears from our eyes. We are focused on the Lamb, not the ham. We're focused on the Lamb, not the ham. But how many times when you talk about your faith, they want to bring up the ham? And they really do. I'm trying to talk about the lamb, and you keep bringing up the ham. What's going on, man? Being facetious, but you know my words ring true. The comforting lamb, a shepherd, leading the redeemed to living water, and Yahweh wiping away every tear. That signifies the end of our sorrows. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying in pain. For the old order of things, it has passed away. It is the complete removal of sorrow, the complete removal of mourning, the complete removal of pain, and a promise, brethren, of a new order. Not a new world order. No, a new order without death. But you see, they're pushing the new world order. And all of that other pagan stuff I've been talking about, that's all part of it the diluting down of the scriptures. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 10. Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. They bring into full view the scenes of joy. In Isaiah, it's the everlasting joy of the ransomed, while in Revelation, it's the lamb that shepherds the people. He's shepherding us. He's leading us into springs of living water. There is a long, final awaiting of spiritual refreshment and joy. It's the blessed hope that when my knees are wobbly, that I always will have that blessed hope. So Isaiah's prophecy, it mentions the disappearance of sorrow, the disappearance of sighing and moaning, while in Revelation chapter 7, verse 17, and Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, they highlight the wiping away of tears. There's a promise. Oh, it's the promise of divine comfort. It's the eradication of our earthly worries and sorrows. And we all have it. There's going to come a day. It's going to be eradicated. The Hebrew word for everlasting joy is awesome. In Isaiah chapter 35, verse 10, simcha, simcha. It's a joy, it's a gladness, it's a mirth. Shin, as in teeth. Mem, as in water. Chet, as in fence. What is this bringing to my mind? It's bringing to my mind a picture of joy as a source of life. Protection, a fierce protection, and an inner unity and the alignment of my spirit, of my soul, and my body in the redeemed remnant saint that I am. And that you are 
There's joy, there's divine comfort, and there's the wiping away of tears. And it's in our future. No matter what you may be experiencing right now, that is the blessed hope, brethren. That is our faith that calls us out of the darkness. And these times of year, when you are a devout believer that has been transformed by the living word, you see that it's not light, it's actually darkness. But what do they portray it as? They call the, what? What is it the Bible say? What does the Bible say? They call darkness light and light darkness. And you see it now. All this light, it's darkness. But it's all about light, but we know it's darkness. When was Yahushua born? He was born at Sukkot, man. Read your Bible. On the first day of Sukkot. Read your Bible, man. Unless you can show me where December 25th appears in the Bible, it doesn't. Lies upon lies. But we are to emphasize not lies, but the everlasting joy upon the ransom. And this is what we're called to. We're called to see things as they are, not how they appear. That's what the, the lemmings do. No, we see things how they are, not what they appear as, but how they are, because he's wiped away our tears. So no matter what your experience right, right now, there is a blessed hope. And that hope calls us out of this darkness. It calls us out. You can look at it and you go, this does not align with scripture. Why am I doing this? This is asinine. This is asinine. Sure, Isaiah emphasizes the everlasting joy upon the ransomed. And Revelation reveals the lamb as a shepherd, leading to springs of living water. But you and I, we want to hold this and grasp hold of this today, now, to bring down Yahweh's direct intervention into our lives today. We need his outstretched hand wiping away every tear now. I need 2020 vision now to see through the darkness. You, the redeemed, have been promised everlasting joy and a lasting joy and the end of sorrow. How do you get it? In his divine presence. That's his promise to you in your day of darkness, in your day of despair, is hope. Isaiah he called it down then, and I call it down upon you today, upon your very souls this Sabbath in your hearing. So be blessed in this. Be blessed in his healing that is upon you in this restful respite of Yeshayahu, chapter 35. That's all I've got for you today. Don't think I lost my temper. Everything's cool. Everything's good in the hood. What do you got to say in the chat? Are you still there? Let me pop over to the chat. 
and see what you have to say. Karen Long, Shabbat Shalom, Karen. She says, Amen, Brother Matthew. Sukkot, day one and day eight of this time are mocked by December 25th and January 1st, day one and day eight of the Beast Feast. Exactly, right? Thumbs up, the teaching, yes. Give us some thumbs up. Give us some thumbs up. Issa Ben, Issa Ben, I haven't laughed so much in a preaching. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom to you. Thank you. <laughs> Good information. Hallelujah. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Hallelujah. Thank you. I hope this message was encouraging. Shabbat Shalom, Mary and Reuben over there on the East Coast. I thank you for your message. It was so encouraging. Thank you. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Sukkot is miles better than Christmas ever was. Hallelujah. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Yeah, it's amazing. You can try and um, fabricate it, but the truth always holds fast. There's the seven Moedim, the seven feasts of Yahuwah, and the three pilgrimage feasts are good enough for Yahuwah. They should be good enough for us. Shabbat Shalom, John Weaver. I pray for Yah's kingdom will come quickly and that all Yah's people are still standing. Hallelujah. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Yeah, I said lemmings. I did. Lemmings. I did. I did. I did. All right. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Thank you so much, brethren. We'll catch you live, Yah willing, next Shabbat. Stay strong in the dark season that it is. Even though they're portraying it as light, stay strong. Stay strong. And remember that there is the blessed hope and it is inside us. He is inside us. Stay on that narrow path that leads to life and enjoy the respite of Yeshayahu chapter 35. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>